Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Today on America Can We Talk, we're going to talk about when the fact checkers lie, when Democrat policies in Virginia are kind of boomeranging on them, a university professor exposing left-wing lunacy you could hardly believe happens on American campuses, and Muslim community patrol cars in Brooklyn. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. By GC Works, a Dallas-based company performing advanced technology research in the oil and gas industry. Hello again, Debbie Georgiatis, and this is America Can We Talk. Well, we talked yesterday about the State of the Union and went through a lot of the statements that President Trump made and the way the Democrats acted. Well, the alleged fact checkers have been, you know, going wild since then, reviewing what President Trump said in his State of the Union speech and essentially claiming that certain things were not true. They call themselves fact checkers. But the reason I wanted to hit this today in today's first five is because many of the things, in fact, almost all the things I can find to read, they're not fact checking they are just flat out plain old fake news public opinion manipulation lies by the media let me start with just a few just incredibly ridiculous examples from npr which by the way your tax dollars at work at npr they he they targeted they described as a fact checking correction of president trump that trump said my fellow Americans, we meet tonight at a moment of unlimited potential as we begin a new Congress. I stand here ready to work with you to achieve historic breakthroughs. And the fact check correction that NPR is offering is, but President Trump didn't acknowledge the new power dynamic in Washington. He should have said something about the fact that the House now is Democrat majority. That is not a fact check. That is whining that he didn't say the speech in the way they would have. He didn't say they hadn't, that the Democrats didn't win the House. He simply went through his speech. Another really perfect example, President Trump's speech language. Unemployment has reached the lowest rate in over half a century. African-Americans, Hispanic-American, and Asian-American unemployment have all reached their lowest levels ever recorded. And the correction that NPR is claiming is a fact check is, but he didn't point out that African-American unemployment is still high, too high percentage-wise, as compared with Caucasian Americans, which he didn't say it wasn't. I mean, this is just, this is no, this is advocacy by NPR using your tax dollars to just, just, just to target, mock, ridicule, in some way, take a shot at President Trump. This is not fact checking, but this is what NPR calls fact checking. Um, one, I will say uh, this, if their data is accurate, it, is, it can rise to the level of fact check. President Trump said nearly 5 million Americans, he said nearly 5 million Americans have been lifted off of food stamps. And they say, well, the number is only 4.12 million. So 
you know, he should have said something like more than 4 million rather than nearly 5 million. Well, okay, if you want to quibble about whether 4.12 million is nearly 5 million or not, fine. I guess you can call that a fact check. But the, the level of absurdity calling these thing, fa- things fact checks, I have a couple more. These really matter because what happens when NPR and the New York Times and the Washington Post and all the usual left wing loudmouths put out statements and articles captioned fact check you know 27 statements miss president trump made that were need to be corrected people read the headlines they don't dive down to read what the article says and they actually think maybe president trump was caught in a real fact check not true another one a great great example i think this one was also npr yeah President Trump said, you know, essentially the, the exact language he had is not he used is not in this particular article. But when President Trump said in his State of the Union speech that it's really great, we have the highest number of women ever working in our economy. We have women back to work. And you might recall the Democrats, uh, the Democrat sheeple all dressed in white stood up because they were a bunch of Democrat women and they were cheering and doing the, you know, rah rah and everything. So they were they were celebrating what Trump was saying about more women being in, in the job market, and they're celebrating their own presence in Congress. NPR counts as a fact as a fact checked correction. President Trump praised the record number of women in Congress, but that's almost entirely because of Democrats, not Trump's party. He didn't say they were Republicans. He said we have a lot of women in in the workforce and in Congress, and they call it a fact check. To say, yeah, but they're mostly Democrat. Again, not a fact check. It is left-wing, fake news, target practice at President Trump, finding ways to mock, ridicule, or in some other way deride him. But the worst thing, again, is the headlines that make it sound like they actually fact-checked anything. One more. There was a there was a fact-check relating to um, the uh, President Trump said one in three women this is referring to the uh, women being uh, coming over the southern border and the sex trafficking. And President Trump said one in three women is sexually assaulted on the long journey north. So he said one in three. The fact check correction? Well, it's really only slightly over 31%. That's a fact correction. 31 versus 33. And I raise these to say, you know, the, the left-wing media... In this country, Washington Post, New York Times, ABC, NBC, CBS, all the left-wing media whines and moans and complains because President Trump calls them fake media. And yet, given the opportunity to give an honest assessment of a stellar State of the Union speech, they go out of their way to find nitpicking, ridiculous, not even corrections, just kind of, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, kind of arguments with what he said. And this is their fact-checking. New York Times had a long article, too, but I'm sick of talking about them. Just take it from me. If you see fact-checking in the headline, you need to read the article and ask yourself, are they really correcting a fact, or are they just whining because they don't like the success President Trump has brought to America and our economy? I'm Debbie George Jazz. That was my first five. Stay tuned. Welcome back to America Can We Talk? I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Well, I want to talk about the situation in Virginia, the state of Virginia. And 
you obviously know because we've been talking about on this show and on every show that the governor of Virginia, a Democrat governor, Northam, is in a lot of hot water with the Democrat Party, not because he was okay with the idea of of uh, late-term partial birth abortion. That didn't bother them. But because pictures have emerged from his uh, years-ago yearbook from medical school where he, and he's denying that he was in the picture now, but he first admitted he was and denied it, but saying he was in a picture that had a, a, a white person who put on some kind of makeup so they look like they, they were calling it a blackface picture. So blackface person standing next to someone in a Ku Klux Klan outfit. And, you know, that was a uh, obviously horrifically offensive. People didn't like it. And they were calling for his resignation because he did this racially insensitive thing. Well, I want to start with there's a I think this is what I sent you, um, my happy producer, Matt, uh, this picture of the Virginia line of succession. These three people. OK, these three people. And I swear I'm not gloating. I have a very serious substantive point about America to make. But these three people on the screen are the three people who are in the line of they the governor. The far left is the governor, Northam, still refusing to resign. Center picture is the guy who is the next in line to be governor should Northam ever resign. He is Democrat Lieutenant Governor Justin Fairfax. And then on the right, the third person is the Virginia Attorney General Mark Herring. So should Northam resign, which he's saying he's not going to, uh, then you'd have next Justin Fairfax in line, then you'd have Mark Herring. All of them I, I was calling this segment something about the, the uh, Democrats' uh, political boomerang. They have spent, the Democrat Party in this country has spent so long mocking and ridiculing and pouncing their politics of personal destruction, their politics of latching on to one misstep, one something out of line anyone did 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, or even an accusation of something they did as being a death knell for that person. But now this is coming back to bite them in Virginia. And this politics, the way the Democrats engage in their political attack mode, the way they're endlessly labeling anyone they don't like as racist, sexist, xenophobic, homophobic, some other phobic, and it's really coming back to bite them. They're in a very difficult situation, and I want to explain why. And I actually, I know I'm smiling saying that. I do think it's a little bit, it's fun a little bit to watch the Democrat media mob squirm about what's happening in Virginia because each of these three has a very serious problem that may make that disqualify them from being governor. And if all three of them are out, the next person in line under the Virginia Constitution happens to be the Speaker of the House who's a Republican. Okay, this is going to test the ethics, test the morality, test the veracity of all the Democrats who spent all their time trying to find ways to, to knock people down. Are they going to stand on the principles they say they stand for? Absolutely intolerance, no tolerance for anything, any step out of line, any misstep by anyone ever. So they have to then, I'm going to go through each of these three of their problems are, but you end up at the question, are the, the Democrats in Washington who are watching this with just, hor they are horrified with what's happening in the state of Virginia, are they going to stand on their principles and say, well, this is right. 
We always say this, you know, you, you have something comes up from your past and it is disqualifying and you're out and there's no two ways about it. And so we move to the next person, next person, or they can stand with that if it means they end up getting a Republican governor in the state of Virginia leading up to the now and leading up to the 2020 presidential elections. They, you have to believe they do not want this Republican uh, Speaker of the House, Kirk, I'm sorry, his name is Kirk Cox. I think I misspoke before. Kirk Cox is the Republican next speaker. He, he'll be the governor if these two are out. So Northam's got his problems. He's saying, first he said, I, I was in that picture. I apologize. And he said, no, I wasn't in that picture. I was confused. It wasn't me. He's refusing to resign. Uh, there was a clip of Kamala Harris um, who was, so I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to wait, hold on, on that clip. So he's, so he's got his problem, the governor does, uh, with respect to his, these pictures from his yearbook. On top of that, he had a nickname, an undergraduate school uh, that was Coon, C-O-O-N, which is often used as a, as a derogatory, defamatory, ugly, racist word. Now, of course, he's saying, oh, that's not what it came from. And some other reason I had that nickname. But he's got a big problem. And it's amazing. A Democrat politician made it all the way to governor of the state of Virginia. And these things are only coming out now. So he's got he's got the yearbook problem, the race, racist, racist picture on his yearbook. And he's got the problem with the um, the um, uh, with the, the the abortion thing with their, their sign doesn't matter so much. And the nickname Coon. OK, this guy, everyone was all excited. Wow. Now we're going to have a, a black Democrat governor in Virginia. He's going to save us. This is Justin Fairfax. He is African-American, obviously. He, as the the uh, national attention turned to Virginia and people thought, oh, look, this is guy. Now he's going to become governor. This is going to be great. Get rid of Northam. Get a, get, you know, we'll increase our credibility with the African-American community because we're going to have this guy stepping up, Lieutenant um, Governor Justin Fairfax. Well, he's now been accused by a black woman named Vanessa Tyson, a 42-year-old Democrat political science professor. Let me say that again. She's a Democrat. She's accusing a fellow Democrat. She's accusing him not just of something in high school that, you know, we're going to get to Kavanaugh comparison in a moment, not something in high school, not something that was just, which I'm not excusing what Kavanaugh may or may not have done, which I think he didn't do, but, but she's talking about him actually in 2004, long time a grown up, long time in the public arena and in 2004 at the democrat national convention in boston this woman vanessa tyson is accusing the democrat uh, virginia lieutenant governor justin fairfax of physically forcing her to perform oral sex on him she was working for a campaign she was an aide to democrat vice presidential presidential nominee um, john edwards she was sent up to just retrieve some documents from this guy's room who was at the convention this guy um, justin fairfax she claims he physically forced her restrained her forced her to perform oral sex on him now get clear she's a professor she's a democrat she does not have a political agenda here. She doesn't have all the reasons she probably would be lying like the accuser did in the Kavanaugh, the Supreme Court Justice Kavanaugh case. 
This is a, a, this is just rich with irony, rich with irony. Let me go back and, you know, there, I sent a clip of Kamala Harris. She is a United States senator. She's from California. She, um, during the time that Kavanaugh, Justice Kavanaugh, was having his confirmation hearing before the Judiciary Committee, Kamala Harris uh, had an opportunity to question the woman who accused Kavanaugh of groping her in high school at a high school party and so this is she's now talking to a woman who's raising accusations get to set the table for this Kamala Harris U.S. Senator signed on to the believe the woman whatever the woman says is true believe the woman she signed on to it she's about you're about to hear what she said to the accuser of Kavanaugh and the Kavanaugh accuser to be clear Kavanaugh accuser is talking about something that happened and I've forgotten the number of years 34 years ago or something like that. I mean, decades ago at a high school party, which she never complained about for years. She's a leftist. The accuser is a leftist. She is accusing someone who is going to go on the Supreme Court because nominated by a Republican. So she's got political opposition to this Supreme Court nominee. She's in the middle of a massive federal, massive national effort by the radical left in this country to do anything they could to destroy the Kavanaugh nomination. And here's what Kamala Harris says to this, this uh, Bla- Professor Blasey Ford. And so I want to thank you. I want to thank you for your courage. And I want to tell you, I believe you. I believe you. Okay. She's deciding based on all those facts, you know, that we were just talked about. This is an accuser against a, a Democrat woman accusing a Republican, uh, someone nominated by a Republican, and something that happened you know, in high school. The guy is now in his mid or late 50s. So, so we're talking 40 years ago, an, uh, an accusation from high school that had never been raised with no verification whatsoever. So what is Kamala Harris going to do? Because you have to know Kamala Harris wanting to be president in 2020, wanting to, she is going to run, she, and she said she's running, what is she going to do about the guy who is the you know heir apparent? In fact, even before this whole allegation, uh, this whole claim about Northam, whether Northam should have to step down because of a yearbook picture, the lieutenant governor was in place, just Justin Fairfax, was considered by many to be the heir apparent, the, the rising star in Virginia. So is Kamala Harris going to stick with her principles and say, believe the woman? Is she going to do that? Or is she going to say, you know... Uh, I, I think there are different factors at play here. Well, there are a lot of different factors at play here. There is no reason in the, on the planet Earth, no reason for this woman in California to make an accusation, this Vanessa Tyson, to accuse the sitting Virginia Lieutenant Governor Justin Fairfax. And this is not in high school. This is as adults in 2004 at a Democrat National Convention hotel room. Now, to be fair to Justin Fairfax, he is denying it. He says that didn't happen. She's put out, as a really funny aside, by the way, this woman, Vanessa Tyson, has hired the same law firm that represented Dr. Christine Blasey Ford, who accused Kavanaugh, and the Lieutenant Governor of Virginia, uh, Justin Fairfax, has hired the same law firm to defend him, as the same law firm as uh, Supreme Court Justice Kavanaugh hired. So they're both lawyering up. She, Vanessa Tyson, put out a lengthy, detailed description 
of this assault in the hotel room in Boston. Not going to read it here, but you can find it online. She is not making a casual, well, you know, was something happened, it wasn't quite right. She is laying out in public, putting her statement out there because she doesn't want to see a guy who would do that to her violently restraining her and forcing her to engage in oral sex with him. She doesn't want to see him become governor. She doesn't want to see him launching a political career toward prominence in this country. She's bothered by that. Okay, our third friend over here, our third Democrat in the uh, lineup uh, in front of you is the speaker that is the um, Virginia Attorney General Mark Herring. Mark Herring, recognizing the trouble that the governor is facing, recognizing the national tumult about blackface, that painting your face black and going to, you know, as some form of entertainment of your, for yourself, he just stepped forward and said, I did that too. He said in college, he and some friends went to, it was either a concert or a party, but he said he, he uh, painted his face to look black in order to imitate or to try to, he was trying to pretend he was some rapper that he and his friends actually liked. He was dressing up as a rapper, made his face black to look like this rapper. I can't remember the guy's name, the rapper's name, but he, he volunteered it before it comes out. He said, yeah, you know, I did that. I did the blackface thing. I'm going to put a comma here for a second. I'm going to get to some really, really important political points in a moment. But this blackface thing, you know, I grew up in upstate New York, and I really, I don't know anyone who did these kind of things. But I've been listening and reading online, listening to radio and other shows. This apparently was a thing in at least the Virginia, West Virginia area, maybe other places in the South. I don't know. I grew up in New York, so I don't know. But there's a, people writing and saying, hey, you know, people did this at the time at, in, these, in this era. It wasn't such a big deal. I cannot imagine. We're not talking about doing this during the era of segregation. It would have been ugly to do even then. Even then, these are time. These are things that occurred in modern times. And, and for, you know, and for the, um, the, uh, the, guy, the governor, he was in medical school. He's astute and educated and worldly enough to be in medical school. And thinking this was a funny thing to dress up in a Ku Klux Klan outfit or as the blackface, which everyone he was. This guy you know, was saying, well, was, I mean, he's saying it was kind of innocent. You know, we were just trying to imitate a rapper we liked and trying to dress like him. But this blackface thing, I was unaware, honestly, until this last week, apparently some areas of the country, that was a common thing or it was done by some people. I actually like that it is coming out that these things are offensive obnoxious. People don't like it. It's just, it's just distasteful. I like that there is a public reaction that there has been. Um, I had a clip ready and I, I, I didn't send it to my happy producer, Matt, so I'm just going to tell you about it. But there was a young woman who was a protester outside of the governor's mansion. She's a young African-American woman. I will put it later. If you're watching Facebook, I'll put it up as a, um, uh, as a comment below. But she's a young African-American woman, very articulate, purple hair, so you recognize the video I'm going to talk about. But she basically was saying, you know, the governor keeps saying, what can I do to fix this? You know, I want to move forward. Help me uh, build bridges. Help me mend fences, whatever his lines are. And she said, she's saying, the only thing you can do is step down. That's the only thing. We were shocked by what you did. And, you know, it's kind of interesting because if you didn't know this, this governor won 
this race, I mean, Virginia has been a, you know, purplish state, has Republicans, has Democrats, as it is filled in the northern suburbs with more and more people who work in Washington who like big government Democrat life and policies and big fat, you know, just kind of living off the government, uh, swollen budget, swollen, you know, administrative agencies. Virginia is getting filled with people who work for the federal government and they like big government because they, and they want to perpetuate their jobs so they vote Democrat. So Virginia's because of that been trending Democrat, but this governor there he had a pretty popular opponent whom he beat at Gillespie, beat him by running ads claiming and I mean depicting somebody driving a pick tr- a pickup truck and aiming it at minority people, I guess children at, at minorities. I mean, he ran and won on the argument that the Republican was racist. But look what you're seeing in this happy scene on the top echelon of the Democrat Party in Virginia. I will tell you what you're seeing is what the Democrat Party really is like. The Democrat Party in this country is the source of they opposed the Democrats were, were not the ones founded on ending slavery. The Republicans were founded in ending slavery. The Democrats were the ones that created and, and filled the ranks of the KKK. The Democrats were the ones who fought against civil rights, who fought against uh, the, uh, who fought for the Jim Crow laws, who fought to perpetuate the Jim Crow laws, who fought to perpetuate, to continue segregation. That's the Democrat Party. It hasn't changed. These people, I mean, I'm not saying they're evil and horrible people, but at least the uh, governor and the, the third in line is the um, attorney general, Mark Herring, that that's distasteful, inconsiderate, underlying, below the surface, racist ugliness. I'm telling you, it's still there in the hearts and minds of many leaders in the Democrat Party. I know they don't say that. I know they're telling America, we're the ones standing up for you. They're not. So here we have in Virginia, my point in this whole Virginia thing, you have these three, and then the Constitution of Virginia provides if all these three people are ineligible, which if you want to apply the same standards Democrats apply, you know, they say they always stand for, you end up with a Republican governor of the state of Virginia, Kirk Cox. You have to believe that every Democrat muckraker in this country, every George Soros funded organization, every left wing group is wildly, wildly digging up anything they can either locate or create to destroy this Speaker of the House, Republican Kirk Cox. They want some other scandal to take him out because the three they had are are apparently not going to cut it and their present standards. But I went through that for a couple of reasons I want to talk about on this, you know, my show, this show, America Can We Talk? I I understand that there's a lot of Republican glee kind of sitting back and, and kind of rubbing your hands and watching what are the Democrats going to do about this? They've got a big mess on their hands. Are they going to stand by there, you know, believe the woman thing and, and let this lieutenant governor go down? Are they going to stand by there? We don't tolerate one iota of racism. We're going to toss everybody out who's racist because then if they stand with their principles that they say they believe in, they have to support this Republican becoming governor. But the things I want to really, and I do this show really not, I I do it, it is partisan for sure. But the reason I do this show 
is to argue for, to perpetuate, to continue, to support, to understand the unique, extraordinary importance of the idea of America. And the idea of America includes having a political process, having an American political conversation, having political races, having political dialogue be bigger and better than this, the endless, perpetual, slogan-slinging, false accusation mode that the Democrat Party lives in. An issue after issue after issue after issue in this country. Instead of having a discussion about Republican border policy and Democrat border policy, or Republican immigration reform and Democrat immigration reform, or voter ID, how to have integrity at the election at, at the um, ballot box, how to have fair elections on, on issues of every conceivable kind, including even climate change has come in, come down to a honest to goodness. People on the left arguing that climate change is, is a race issue. The left survives in this country by by lying, mischaracterizing, falsely accusing their political opponents of all sorts of evil motives instead of ever discussing the issue, instead of ever discussing the issue. So the Democrats, they don't have answers on why their inner cities are, that have been ruled by Democrat mayors for, and Democrat leadership for decades are crumbling, decaying. Democrat policies don't work. They are kissing cousins with socialist policies, which really don't work as we are all discovering. And so the Democrats have in the last whatever, four decades, simply become the party of making false accusations against everyone else on the other side of the aisle and never discussing policies. That is a bit of exaggeration, but not much of one. So I actually want to suggest a few points that I think we have to, if we want to get past this kind of every candidate who comes up, someone goes digging to find the worst horrible thing they ever can about their life, dig up some incident in their life, concoct some issue in their life. There are a couple of things I think we could all actually hopefully agree on and move forward. One is the same rules have to apply in media, in the media and the political part to both political parties. I know they don't, but really a media who hounded Kavanaugh to death should not even be able to utter a word in defense of the Lieutenant Governor Justin Fairfax, not a word. They crucified Kavanaugh over what I believe was a false accusation, which had all the earmarks of being false, all the earmarks of having political motivation. This accuser against Justin Fairfax has no motive to be making this up. She's on his side politically. So number one, we have to have the same rules for everyone. But I also think it's really a, just a kind of a political maturing of America, a political maturing of the political conversation in America, we need to actually ask ourselves, how far back in someone's life is it valid to go to find a disqualifying event or a disqualifying episode that means they're not qualified for office? How far back? I mean, somebody, you know, uh, chewed gum in fourth grade, obviously that's always the extreme example, but I mean, we need to have some reason applied. Again, that ties into my next point. I do think that people of all kinds actually do, not that they all do, but people of all backgrounds, all political parties, all race, ethnicity, national origin, they do reform. 
Some people actually do repent for past behavior. They do reform. They do mature. They do change. It's actually possible that at least the, um, the Attorney General, Mark Herring, who spoke up and said, okay, this blackface thing has become a big issue. Let me get it out there now. He might now, at this point in life, say, you know, that was really insensitive and really stupid. And I was young and stupid and in college. And he was 19 at the time. You know, I'm not advocating for him. I don't, I, I don't really advocate for Democrats to hold political power because I think their party is so far radical left today that I don't want more Democrats in power. But I don't think, I mean, I do think we have to have place in this country for some sense of agreeing with ourselves, people can change. Some of the best pro-life advocates are women who've been through abortions, one or more, and will say, you know what, I did have an abortion, and I'm going to tell you, it was a really, it was a big mistake in my life. They're more able to be persuasive, they're more able to be earnest advocates for their newfound views. And then this, but this last point I'll make about this whole situation, I don't want them to kind of relish it as a delicious opportunity to watch the Democrats squirm, because I think there's, there are better things we can learn from that. But it is really an opportunity to watch and see if the Democrats will speak up and stand up against the idea of what they do to Republicans all day long, which is find one incident, one accusation, one episode, and viciously vilify them till they drive them out of public office. I hope the Democrats can look at this situation. I don't know what the right answer is. I mean, the voters may just, they may have an uprise. They, they're having a lot of protests in Virginia. I'm not saying there's a right, I don't know what the right answer is. Seems to me, probably, they ought to just give in, get rid of all three of those Democrats and let this Republican uh, become uh, Virginia governor. But I think that there are deeper lessons for America from this situation, deeper lessons about the idea. We have to give place. We have to recognize people do sometimes mature, change, repent, grow, drop off bad ideas, drop off bad things, embrace a new view of life. And I think we have to have a little bit of, of forgiveness, a little bit of that willingness to recognize people are not necessarily at age 60 exactly who they were when they were 20. In fact, probably true of most of us. Most of us. So that's the Virginia story. We come right back. I want to turn to talking with you um, about the... Um, and, Pay attention to that story, by the way, but turn, uh, talk to you about a university professor who's in hot water for exposing the lunacy of America's universities. Stay tuned. Welcome back to America. Can we talk? Okay. So during the little break we had there, 30 seconds, I see I'm getting some text messages from friends. So to be really about this last story about Virginia, so I'm going to make a couple corrections. Uh, Northam, the governor, said his nickname was Coon Man, not Coon. Okay. Still terrible. Uh, number two, Fairfax, lieutenant governor, who's been accused by this woman, he's not denying that the incident happened. He's saying it was consensual. So he's not saying nothing like this ever happened. 
it was just consensual. But you have to read this woman's story. Uh, doesn't sound too consensual to me. And as contrasted, though, with Kavanaugh, here we had Kamala Harris willing to give this Kavanaugh accuser just complete whatever you say, I believe you. Um, so she's giving this accuser of something that happened in alleged to have happened in high school, a groping incident in high school. She's willing to say, no matter what, I believe you. So she is one example. But Kamala Harris, I mean, just to pick on her, many Democrats are in the same position same position, they have to decide for all that they mouthed off about Kavanaugh, are they going to apply the same standards to these Virginia people who are in hot water with the voters in Virginia? I guess we'll have to stay tuned. But I do want to tell you the most interesting story, um, and this really is a, um, I did a little bit of this story last year as it was breaking, but this, you know, we talk a lot in in my show about, you know, how young people ever how they learn about what America is, how they learn about how important America is, what America was formed to be, how it is the most unique, extraordinary experiment in human liberty on the planet Earth, that there is no country like it on Earth, founded from its inception, from the Declaration of of Independence to the Constitution, founded on respecting freedom and liberty. I mean, people emerge from college, they don't have a clue college I'm talking about. They get all the way through elementary and middle school and high school and college. Not a clue how extraordinarily important America is in the human journey toward protecting individual people's freedom. But one reason they don't have that knowledge is because of things they do teach in college. So, which you have, I mean, colleges have become so absurd that I used to call this a snowflake update, but just the incredible, uh, insanity that prevails on so many college campuses, what they spend time on talking about, learning about, teaching about. So there's a professor in Portland State University. His name is Peter Bogosian, B-O-G-H-O-S-S-I-A-N, Bogosian. He is in trouble with Portland State University. They are, they brought him up on an academic investigation, a disciplinary action because he, Bogosian, along with, there's a picture of these three folks, uh, these three um, intellects right there. Okay, these three people are all uh, academics. They engaged in an audacious academic hoax adventure last year. They finally acknowledged it, <clears throat> excuse me, toward the end of last year, and now the Portland State University is looking into charging this one professor with some kind of a disciplinary, or that he's been brought up on disciplinary charges for participating in this hoax. So these three characters are um, James Lindsay, the guy is on the left. Uh, he's, a doctor, he's a mathematics doctoral candidate, woman in the middle, Helen Pluckrose, an English literature professor, and the third on the right, Peter Bokassian, the guy who's now in trouble. Here's a short story. These three concocted hoax uh, research papers, hoax st- uh, stories, research papers, and they wrote them up using, tw- they wrote 20 fake papers using fashionable jargon to argue for ridiculous conclusions. I mean, it was a complete farce, made stuff up. They got their articles of the 20 articles they wrote, I mean, completely concocted out of thin air. 
nothing to them using fashionable jargon, which replaces intellect and actual scientific investigation on college campuses today. So they did this. They got seven of them published. Seven of, of them were still in the pipeline, uh, going through various review stages, uh, stages of the review process. Only six were rejected. And so uh, I'm going to just tell you some of the things that they actually pushed and got published. Um, one was a um, advocacy. Um, they wanted to argue for dismissing Western astronomy. Okay, like the study of the skies, the stars, the planets, where they are, what they're made of, how they move. Okay, dismissing Western astronomy as sexist and imperialist and made a case for physics departments to study feminist astrology or practice interpretative dance to replace studying astronomy. They had a whole long thing. I could read it because it is a long um, sentence or several sentences. No, it's one long sentence filled with academic gobbledygook jargon. And they got it published in a paper called Gender, Place, and Culture. I mean, there was nothing to it. No research, no theory, just pure hogwash, but they got it published. And so another one they had was called, that they, this hoax team came up with, Human Reaction to the Rape Culture and Queer Perform Performativity at Urban Dog Parks in Portland, Oregon. They claim to be based on uh, situations in observation of canine rape culture in a Portland dog park. Okay, I could go on and on and on. These studies are hilarious. They were not studies, complete concoctions. And so I, I don't want to, I mean, I, I could go on and on with them, but what's happened, so Portland State University is now bringing this guy up in charges saying, you know, you can't do this, you're mocking us. What ought to be happening is every single school that publishes paper, that, that participates in these idiotic journals that publish these things, that has professors or students or anyone involved in publishing, reviewing all of the process of these kind of papers, they're the ones that should be called up on charges. They're the ones that should be investigated. They are not, these are just, they make a mockery of serious academic study. They make a mockery of serious intellectual scientific inquiry instead of actually looking into things that might actually help the world like Methods to grow food in a better, safer way. Methods to distribute food. Methods to heal disease. Methods to prevent disease. Methods to help. I mean, just all the good things that could be happening. And you have these moronic, and these people, by the way, these three who did this, they are all self-identified liberals. They're liberals, and they're making fun of academia. So Portland State University, talking about charging this guy, or charging him with something or other, they've, he, he's had a lot of the serious um, uh, thought thinkers in Western culture, academics saying, wait a minute, you cannot be serious that you're going to go after him. I mean, they first of all found the articles funny. They are, you, you, you're laughing, reading them out loud, this inane things they wrote, and they get them published in peer-reviewed academic journals, enough to make you think, I'm sorry I send my tax dollars so public schools like Portland State University can complain about someone pointing out the idiocy of the left instead of criticize what the school should be doing, which is criticizing the journals that publish this garbage. And that, I have one more quick story. Stay tuned.
Welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgias. Last thing for today, I'm almost out of time. I want to thank my producer, Matt, who is just wonderfully helpful in everything. I want to ask you what you think that car is right there. You see that picture? What do you think that is? Okay. It looks exactly like a police car. And it is in Brooklyn, New York, which, and in Brooklyn, this is exactly what police cars look like, except for that's not a police car. That is a privately owned Muslim community patrol car in a Muslim majority neighborhood. I don't have time to go into it today, but I want to plant that seed with you and you think about what that means that in a Muslim majority neighborhood, you have this guy, apparently a driver, driving around there i mean this is not a neighborhood where police don't go but the point of it is two i guess three points of it you know if you listen to my show or you've read the book by raheem kassam europe has a massive problem with no-go zones areas of the formerly western free countries in england france is all over western europe areas where it's muslim majority and the muslim majority has announced to the police and other agencies you may not come in here no police no fire we in this these areas totally enclosed in a country we are living under sharia we're not going to comply with western law right in the middle pockets of them all over western europe and Raheem Kassam wrote his book, No-Go Zones, and because of that book, Angela Merkel, the head of Germany, who first denied that Germany had no-go zones, when all the evidence came out in this book, said, okay, she had to admit, actually, yeah, we do have no-go zones. So this is not good in America. This is not good to even start down the path of thinking that somehow a particular religious majority in a, in a neighborhood, a, a, a majority concentration of Muslims, are going to put together and have a Muslim community patrol car at all. Second is, the reason they do this is because they like Sharia, which is Islamic law, inconsistent with America law. You can't have Sharia and America's rule of law. It's one or the other. Well, I'm going to hit this story more uh, next week or sometime soon, but we're out of time, sadly. And Matt keeps signaling me like he thinks I'm going to stop. But I am going to stop. But I do want to thank you for listening to America Can We Talk. And my quick plugs at the end of this show, if you're watching this on YouTube, please subscribe to this channel. And I love all the comments, and I try to respond if I can. Well, I get a lot of comments. Appreciate that. If you're watching on Facebook, please like this Facebook page. Share these segments of the show. Share the show. Tell people about the show. I appreciate it so much if you can do that. And you can also review the page on Facebook. I'd so appreciate if you can do that. If you can follow me on Twitter at Debbie Can We Talk and email me at AmericaCanWeTalk at gmail.com. I do this show out of just just bursting out love of this country and wanting to preserve it, wanting to urge you to speak up to preserve the most extraordinary experiment in human liberty ever on the earth, America. And speak up for America whenever you can, as I do also, because America matters. Talk to you next time. America, can we talk? truth about America. You're listening to RNCN, the digital destination for premium talk radio.